Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a contest between Kung Fu and Karate. Welcome back, film junkies, to another exciting episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. I am your host, Troy, and with me, as always, is the fantastic Brad Anderson. Brad, how is your Monday going? You know, it's okay. It Man Month is coming to an end, so I'm a, a scotch bummed, to be honest. But, you know, spooky season's coming up, so I'll be all right tomorrow. Yeah, this has been a fun month. I, I gotta, you know, we've spent... This will be our fourth week of talking about um, Kung Fu films, specifically Donnie Yen. It has been um, probably one of the, <laughs> the most fun times I've had doing anything that's movie related, especially in the podcast stuff. Um, and we thought, hey, we're going to close this out. And if we're going to just send this thing with a bang, we have to bring on somebody um, who I personally consider to be just the Encyclopedia Britannica of all things Asian films. Um, so I want to welcome Caesar um, to Not A Bomb Podcast. Caesar, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, man. What an introduction, I guess. No, it's, it's totally true. So just to give everybody a little backstory, um, I am one of the guys, and, and Brad and I talk about this all the time, like uh, martial arts films specifically, you know, outside of spooky films. And I mean, we love movies in general, but... Asian films, I just, I love watching Asian films, all types. Doesn't just have to be, you know, people kicking each other in the face and stuff. And there are a couple of websites that I, that I follow um, religiously and I'm always checking on. And uh, there are a couple of people you meet through all these other communities. And there was one gentleman that every time I would, you know, run across a different post on a different podcast website or a forum, and uh, this guy would always be there. And then, you know, all of a sudden saw these articles that were being published by him on filmsmash.com. And uh, I cannot remember what event it was, Caesar, but we, we like accidentally ran into each other when I moved out to the Baltimore area. And that's when I, I discovered you lived out here. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, but uh, I, I got to ask, so um, just filmsmash.com is like one of my favorite websites. I I go to all the time. I've actually won something from your website. So I was pretty excited about that too. Really? What was it? I don't recall. Uh, it was one of the Blu-rays that you were giving away. I think it was, um, oh, Company of Heroes uh, when that was coming uh, out. Okay. Yeah. So I know you do a lot of WellGo USA um, giveaways off your website, but uh, tell us a little bit about Film Smash because I, I think it has an interesting history and kind of what draws you to this topic. Because I know right now, you're in the midst of like watching a lot of um, film festival stuff, right? Yeah, I think there was one that started just uh, on the 24th that I'm, I'm in the middle of right now. But July and August um, and the beginning of September have been pretty packed. So uh, it's been tough to watch stuff for myself because you're watching stuff for, you know, accreditation. Mm -hmm. But like, um, it's something I wouldn't be willing to do if I didn't enjoy it so much, I imagine. 
Um, Film Smash itself is, um, well, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're in film groups and you run into a lot of the same people. Um, Yep. One of the things I recall seeing your name pop up most frequently in Facebook specifically is the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Just a quick shout out to that. Fantastic podcast, by the way. So, um, uh, you know, William Smith based in Toronto. Yeah. Yes. Um, Now, for him, he and I, I've known him online. Um, I've met him in person once, but uh, I've known him online for close to 20 years, I guess, um, primarily because there was a website. Um, now, this is going to be basically the genesis of filmsmash.com, but Kung Fu Cult Cinema. Oh, was that was a fantastic of- website, yes. Yeah, so um, William and I and a number of other people were pretty active in uh, the forum, you know, back in the day when forums were the main mode of communication as opposed to like Facebook chats or uh, Reddit or, or what have you. The good old um, days. No. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very kind of tight knit community. We did things like contests and specifically I used to run a, um, on that forum. I wasn't actually a member of their team on Kung Fu Cult Cinema at the time, just a forum member, but on the forum, I was pretty regular for my um, Japanese music post. And I used to run a screenshot game where we do contests where, you know, I collect screenshots from your collection and post them. People would try to guess what they were. Pretty typical kind of forum stuff that right. um, I really loved. But, you know, if I posted those screenshots anywhere else, no one else would get them. <laughs> so I think um, our passion for Asian film, specifically through that website, is kind of like what um, drew all of us together. And to this day, you know, there's a number of people who are older members on that forum where, we still connect and talk regularly and I consider them uh, in many ways closer to me film, like film family than I do the people I go to watch movies in the theater currently or, you know, before everything happened while we could still go to theaters. Um, Basically Kung Fu Cult Cinema was pretty well, uh, well known for its DVD reviews. They would review a film, but in addition to that, they would, review specific versions and different releases of them. So they were, for me, very formulative in deciding what uh, titles to get, specifically Korean films, because they had reviewers who would review Japanese releases, Korean releases, Hong Kong releases of Korean films. Um, One of the things I definitely trusted them for was the best version of a a film in order to experience it for the first time. These days you have, I guess, Blu-ray.com is probably the big one that compares Mm -hmm. releases. Um, but back then, especially for Asian films, it was indispensable as a resource. And, and that was um, pretty important. For collector. I, I just remember that being important because that was one of the, the places I always went to do a lot of research because if you, especially trying to get an original print overseas, you were going to spend a little bit of money and a lot of it was going to be in shipping. So you had to buy in bulk and you wanted to make sure you got the print you were looking for or the version you were looking for because... It's not like going down to Best Buy or something or Walmart and picking up a copy. And if you don't like it, you know, um, you're, you're not that much out. I mean, even, even today, right. You, you do a little research to make sure, Hey, what you're getting is good quality. I find uh, a lot of days you can compare releases and they all pretty much use the same transfer now. So it's a big difference um, than it was back 15, 20 years ago. Right. But uh, a lot of times I tend to compare releases of older films because I'm upgrading to Blu-ray 4k or whatever. And that's the stuff I'm way more interested in. 
Um, now we're watching, we're going to be talking about a Hong Kong film today, but I definitely don't find myself enjoying many Hong Kong films released in the last few years, unfortunately. <laughs> so ultimately those releases, they come down to who has the best release of this classic film that I've been waiting for forever. Right now. I mean, our, you, your reviews and everything that you put on film smash, I mean, you're, you're the prolific writer for this website and you're yeah. all over this thing. Um, you don't specialize in one particular country or one genre. I mean, I know recently you put up something on like Johnny Toe's new film, um, but you're, you're writing all over every different type of Asian genre, um, all countries. You don't have a specialty outside of just it's Asian cinema in general, right? Um, well, I watch, like you said, we're all movie lovers. Uh, I'm definitely the type of person who would be willing to give anything a shot. Now you mentioned the most recent Johnny Toe film. That actually was not one of my reviews. That's one of my um, freelancers. So she doesn't write that often. Her, na her name is Michelle Kisner, oh, okay. which is a name you might know around. Yep. Um, she is a great writer based out of Detroit. So she helped us, helps us out once in a while, but she is busy with her own service too. I think I offer her things to watch Asian film wise because she is a pretty big fan of it too. And she's always willing to catch something newer later she just like us she's the big importer so i think the community um even outside of forums uh forums back in the day even though that doesn't exist those connections can still be made albeit mm -hmm. it's a little bit tougher i think okay well one of the things we like to do for all our guests and, and like i said before we kind of move on everybody just go to filmsmash.com put it on your your favorites list um it's always being updated they give free stuff away too. Um, and, it, and it's good quality Blu-rays usually that are coming out from WellGo um, release. Uh, but I, I will vouch for that website all the time simply because it's either through that website or even when we run into each other, I feel like I'm, I always have a notebook next to me because you'll start talking about, hey, go to this website because they just released you know, the new Blu-ray of Wicked City. Um, or, hey, have you checked out the Korean film Exit? I mean, my wife gets mad sometimes when we talk because she knows that, you know, I'm going to be spending some money <laughs> with all the <laughs> recommendations you, you give, but you've never steered me wrong. I mean, um, it's fantastic. But one of the things we love to do, um, especially if anybody comes on the podcast is just um, throw out a couple of questions so that listeners can um, kind of see where you're coming from, from movie taste and everything else. And, and uh, you know, some of them are fun questions. So we thought we'd just dive right in. Um, Brad, I'm going to take the first one if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this, this one's a little tough, but it's always, it's always a fun question. So Caesar, what is your favorite film from your least favorite genre? Well, you know, I don't know if I have a, any kind of ranking when it comes to like genre film, I'm really open to anything, but I guess if there was one thing that I probably watch the least of, um, it would probably be musicals probably okay um so do you have a favorite musical well sure well, i don't know if there's a favorite that is a question to put me on the spot though. <laughs> I mean, when you're an adolescent you tend to watch a lot of disney films i'm sure that's the case for a lot of people growing up so yeah. they're animated but i would put them in the musical category oh absolutely probably my probably my favorite musical though gosh i don't know um i'm gonna say the sound of music probably Oh, okay. Well, that's well, a good classic, man. <laughs> I like it. So, have so, you, I mean, have you seen it on the big screen? Yes. Uh, I think around the time of the 40th anniversary of Rogers Hammerstein, um, 20th Century Fox did a number of limited releases um, back in the early 2000s, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I want to say I saw that at E Street Cinema in DC, probably back in 2002, 2003. Oh, man. So, of course, that's a movie that that's like um, annual replay uh, regularly around, I want to say, is it Easter? Usually they show it. But I was going to say, AFI seems to throw that one up there out in Silver Springs, Maryland, um, every once in a while. Um, I think it showed at the Senator, and I'm, we didn't get to go see that, but we did, we did get to see Singing in the Rain. That, Brad, this is the one thing when you come out to um, visit in Baltimore, Caesar and I will take you on, instead of a pub crawl, it'll be like a movie theater crawl to all these <laughs> historic movie theaters like the Parkway and the Senator. No, yeah. I, I hope so. All right, you're up, Brad. What's the next question? Uh, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Uh, well, growing up, it was always Michelangelo. He's the fun one, right? Yes. Uh, you know, he was more adventurous. He is the, the party uh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he took things uh, not too seriously. Always willing to crack a joke. And uh, one of my favorite things about, you know, the Golden Harvest release series of films is how kind of um, they capture him really well, even if some of the other turtles in those films aren't so much so uh, done as well. But Mikey, he's kind of uh, eternal, I'd say. That's a good choice. Now, can you use nunchucks? Are you proficient or have you tried? <laughs> well, I think uh, I'm as proficient as every 10-year-old watching that cartoon was back in the day. Uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> How many concussions do you think you can chalk up to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Pro probably zero. I was pretty careful. So. <laughs> did you, you didn't have the rubber ones with the string or something or did you no i mean the ones i had were like uh it was wooden ones with like cord in between them oh okay yeah so they weren't like the like the ones you could find at like a weird flea market somewhere those were super dangerous i think so <laughs> of course okay so um i i picked out this question specifically for you because i know we've we've talked about this especially um when tarantino's movie came out once upon a time in hollywood um, but who is your favorite Bruce Lee clone or impersonator? Like what film um, or movie or actor has come out and done their best Bruce Lee impersonation? And you, you just you either liked it because um, it was so bad or you liked it because it was so good. Well, I mean, if you're going to talk about uh, like the Bruce Ploitation era, I'm going to say it's Bruce Law. If you're going to talk about my best, the best impersonation, I'm going to say it's probably Stephen Chow. Um, oh, considering okay. the number of times he's parodied him in a million movies, Tricky Masters and um, Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer and King of Comedy. I think uh, he shows a real love for Bruce Lee and the fact he's able to kind of recreate that in parodies that, you know, don't um, make you cringe. Yeah. <laughs> I think it uh, goes a long way for me. And, you know, the fact that they almost always go in quality films, um, you know, is a big plus. So you're not watching it specifically for the Bruce Lee. It's, it's subtle and it's fun. And many times it comes out of nowhere, but even if it's telegraphed uh, and you know exactly where it's going, he's able to put a freshness to it. That'll make you, you know, grab your sides, I think. Oh, I agree. Brad, I, I got to ask you this question. We haven't talked about this and, and in every Ip Man film, they got to tell you, Oh, Hey, by the way, did you know Ip Man trained Bruce Lee? I mean, that, that's a fact they're ramming down your throat, right? Mm -hmm. So Brad, do you have a, do you have a favorite Bruce Lee clone? Oh, Fei Long from Street Fighter. It's like basically <laughs> Bruce Lee. It's, it's and then I was one. also going to say, does Brandon Lee count? Can I say The Crow is my favorite like clone Bruce Lee movie? Bruce uh, Lee fights back from the grave, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, but no, Fei Long, Fei Long would be that for me. That's Are you a Street pick. Fighter guy, Brad? 
Uh, 100% yes. Oh yeah, we're going to have to exchange some contact info later then. Okay. (laughs) I I smell a challenge coming up. (laughs) I'm more of a Marvel versus Capcom guy myself, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Number two, like two's the best, right? Uh, I probably played that 5,000 hours of my life. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Tons tons of gameplay. Uh, We we may have to have a betting pool going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I had to pick, um, I, I think it's like my favorite Bruce Lee clone from the Bruce Boytation might be uh, Bruce Li, L-I, because uh, it was all the good time VHS videos I kept picking up um, and watching those, and, and they, were, they were just they were just fun. But um, I don't know. My, my favorite scene was somebody doing Bruce Lee. I, I was thinking about Shaolin soccer, and we'll talk about this here in a minute when we get to the cast. Dan Chan. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. But I, I got I to be honest, like my favorite Bruce Lee reference in a film is um, from a movie starring Jet Li and Jackie Chung called uh, High Risk. And when uh, the, the big final battle, and Brad, if you, if you haven't seen this, you got to check it out. I, I think at some point it was playing on uh, Amazon Prime or something, but the whole premise of it is that um, Jackie Chung is, uh, they're, they're really making fun of Jackie Chan. And uh, it's, a, it's this famous actor who's supposed to be doing all his own stunts. But the big secret is his bodyguard played by Jet Li is the one that's doing the stunts because Jackie Chung is, you know, chasing after the girls and inebriated all the time. But um, there's a diehard situation where they get trapped, et cetera. And towards the end of the film, you know, Jackie Chung's in the, the yellow traditional Bruce Lee track suit. And um, he has to show off his martial arts skills and he, he pulls out the full Bruce Lee. It, it's kind of a goofy movie and Caesar's directed by Wang Jing. Is that, is my memory serving me correctly? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. I'm, I have kind of like a really serious love-hate relationship with that guy. So. <laughs> I do too, but I, th- there's a movie that comes along at high risk that it's got so many goofy parts to it, but then you get to that scene um, and it's so much fun. It's, it's not Stephen Chow quality, like you were talking about with um, how they handle the Bruce Lee, but it's very slapsticky. Um, but I think Jackie Chung does it. I mean, it made me a Jackie Chung fan and, you know, why well, I searched out stuff like Private Eye Blues and stuff like that. But that, that would be my pick. I think that um, Wong Jing, when he, you mentioned his slapstick comedy, I think that works better when he's doing an action comedy as opposed to doing just a straight up comedy. Oh, because I agree. A hundred percent. Regular comedies, they tend to go way too long. And, you know, unless those movies are 70 or 80 minutes long, you're, you find yourself checking your watch. At least I do fairly regularly whenever that happens. It's an endurance test. <laughs> yeah. His gambling films aren't, aren't the greatest either. I mean, ultimately yeah. he's a par- He's like a parody guy, but we're talking closer to like date movie and date movie and not another team movie as opposed to scary movie. So not, yeah. not the best parodies out there, but that's, some, that's a good, that's good some quality stuff, but not, <laughs> yeah, there's a level usually you don't rise above. Oh, I agree. All right, Brad, I think you got the last two questions. I do. I just, um, yeah. What is the first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Uh, well, this is a question I actually do have an answer for. It's Snow White back in, I want to say 1988. Now, I don't remember the year, but doing some research as Snow White being the first memory I had at a movie theater, um, looking at previous releases, I found that 1988 was when they had released it. Um, again in theater. So it was a spring release in 1988. I remember going with my older brother, my younger sister, and my father at a theater that's no longer around. So, Oh, okay. that's awesome. Did, now, um, it was, it, 
did that influence any future like I don't know favorites um because I, I do find that sometimes that first film you see all of a sudden it gives you a taste and no matter what happens with that genre or like in this case animation um you're always drawn to it so do you think that influenced some of your like your favorites going forward I don't know I think uh for me probably the big thing that influenced my taste in cinema was the fact that uh, I ended up working at a video store for 15 plus years. <laughs> That'll do that, it. That, that, you know, Snow White certainly is a landmark picture. A Disney film for a lot of people is their first experience with a movie. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, musicals are probably my least favorite genre if I had to be put on the spot, uh, mm -hmm. which I was, but I don't dislike musicals at all. That just happens to be probably the one I watch the least of. Um, the working at a movie store, having access to the newest stuff to come out and being able to talk to people for, you know, a paycheck. That's, that's a lot of fun. Um, um, and I definitely think I met a lot of other people and learned a lot from working there. Maybe not quite like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> you didn't write your own screenplay and stuff off of it? <laughs> no, but I definitely wasn't as big a loud mouth as that guy either though. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one, Brad. All right. What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everybody? Oh, to everyone. Movie bomb. Speed Racer. Ooh, Wachowskis. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I remember watching that in the theater four times. Four times? Uh, I went to a midnight release of it, and there were only three other people in the theater, and I was like, this is not good. So, You're like 75% of the box office. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched it. I watched it a number of times in the theater. I'm not aware if you guys have had a chance to sit down with it, but it's a lovely film. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I'd watched it um, multiple times just because I knew the box office was going to be abysmal and I wanted to like throw my 12 bucks in <laughs> as much as I could to enjoy it. Um, I do remember one of my good memories of that year. Speed Racer came out 2008, I believe. Um, that year, there was a convention where I met Peter Fernandez, the voice of Speed Racer, Racer X of the original animated series. And I was able to, no, he has a cameo appearance in the film as an announcer during the first race. He's the announcer of like his home track, Speed Racer's home track. Okay. And I was able to tell him how much I liked it, how much I liked the film. I saw it multiple times and how big a fan I was of the animated series and how when he popped up on screen, how I was able to recognize it immediately. And he was with his family um, at the convention. He was very happy. Um, a lot of the times that those conventions, Speed Racer, it was an, a Japanese anime convention. Speed Racer, being an older series, was probably relegated towards the back unless you were a certain type of fan. Oh, man. Uh, a fan of retro animation. Really? Whereas, yeah, I mean, there's... They put then um, an Astro Boy together and it's like, hey, just hang out over here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he, he had good real estate, I guess, yeah. at, at, the, at the convention. But you're definitely going to see a lot of the attendees being of a younger age at those shows. So Speed Racer is something that, you know, at that time, you know, you had the film that was in theaters, but it wasn't playing in syndication on TV. When I was younger, you'd be able to watch it on public television, not public television, but um, one of the main three stations that you got normally. Um, and I remember later on, they used to show it on MTV in the evenings, if I remember correctly. But for most of the people who are attending these conventions, they're decidedly of a generation or two younger than I was. And even then, Speed Racer was before my time. I just happened to enjoy it after the fact via syndication. So, you know, he, 
uh, I don't want to say lonely is not the right word, but he definitely had the time to chat with me, which I welcomed a lot. And unfortunately, we ended up passing away later that year. But um, it was cool to see him see that character come to life on screen for him. And I think that movie's great, personally. Yeah, that, I think that's on our list. It's it's one that when we were originally kind of putting things together, um, I think Brad and I immediately said, hey, we need to talk about this. Um, and I, I'm one of the ones, I, I don't know, Brad, if you caught it in theater, I didn't discover it until years after. And um, it was one of those, hey, everybody talks about this, buy it on Blu-ray, and that thing just pops. Uh, yeah. And absolutely loved it. Like, that that's the one when... I hear about 4K releases and, and, you know, V for Vendetta is coming out. It's like, well, we're Speed Racer. You know, Matrix is out. <laughs> of all the 4K type materials you could put out there that really becomes something to show off your home theater, I would imagine it'd be 4K, especially if you can, you know, get a DTSX or Atmos soundtrack attached to it. Yeah, I mean, think about what Speed Racer has. You got the uh, Michael Giacchino soundtrack, really great effects work. Um, I think it has a cartoony colorful feel to it that i think um you mentioned how it pops would pop in 4k i remember saying you know this is a movie that if you're getting a blu-ray player for the first time it that movie happened to be released right around like the changeover between dvd to blu-ray i always said to people you know working at the, the video shop you know this is a movie that's going to look great and it's really going to showcase what blu-ray can do what advantages it has over dvd but, yeah, and it's fun to watch. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's not just what, like, what a killer cast too. Yeah. Now, I don't want to like derail this and <laughs> sabotage your upcoming Speed Racer uh, episode, though. So, no, oh, we'll 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 yeah. definitely get you back for that. Um, all right, are you guys ready to talk Donnie Yen? I mean, this is all month we've been doing it, man, and th- this is the finale. It's it, man, for the finale from 2019. You guys ready to dive in? Yeah, I, I think am. so. Okay, so Brad. Um, this is actually a relatively new film. I, I want to say it's the newest one we've actually reviewed since we've yeah. done this podcast. Um, Do you remember back in December of 19, which like I was telling you before we started recording feels like four years ago, but it was it nine months like ago forever, man. I know <laughs> it's not even a full I year. I, um, huh. so going back, um, and we've always said, we cheated this month because if you're looking at pure box office, the Ip Man films are, are definitely not a bomb. They, they made their money. Internationally. Um, internationally, right? This, this is only the, um, let's see, one was not released in the theaters. Two, two did. Three got released. Master Z got released. And then four came along just this last December. Um, and Brad, how did this do box office wise? Did Now, one of the trends we noticed with two and three, they just kept making more money. Yes. Uh, how did this one do? Um, budget of $52 million American makes almost $200 million. So the revised numbers in February is $193 million. Um, Holy cow. Which is quite large. Um, yeah, even in America, it makes $4 million. Um, you know, at one point in time is playing in 125 theaters. Um, almost gets like an average theater of like four thousand dollars you know per theater which is pretty good um yeah so it does really really well um obviously in china it does crazy numbers um right at like 165 million dollars um you know if you throw in yeah like that's crazy throwing hong kong at a number three and a half it's you know almost 170 millions in china and hong kong alone so 
thing was quite the success. They were building a lot of momentum with the first three. Um, it's funny, you know, how Master Z kind of was not a hit and, right. you know, they bounce back and, and make this. So I guess Donnie is just much more of an international draw than Max Yang is. So, well, yeah, that's, I mean, we're, we're talking 2019. Donnie's really made a name for himself just from the Star Wars <clears throat> franchise now. Yeah, Rogue yeah. One. Um, and uh, this, this came out around the holiday season in the U.S. It did. Um, and so it actually before, so one of the films that it releases alongside is Star Wars uh, Rise of Skywalker. In China, this film beats it for 20 weeks in a row. <laughs> wow so that tells you something um i don't know if it tells you about the quality of the star wars film or star the quality of it man four but you know that's pretty well, decide. star wars could never crack it over there I yeah think, in in china it just was a franchise that never took off i mean <clears throat> the lateness of its entry into the chinese market though was a big factor right people didn't see star wars until 2014 2015 yeah. so there's not the cultural attachment to it that the united states has and the rest of the world has probably and also in, this one has the shortest window from chinese release to american release it's only five days so this one comes out on christmas so you know donnie in is born on christmas uh, just like <laughs> jesus so um so in the united states in december of 19 again which feels like forever ago uh we have bombshell which is the Fox media. Nicole Kidman and yeah. Okay. Uh, Margot Robbie, I think is Margot Robbie. Yeah. Uh, that second Jumanji movie, the next level. Um, that uh, Richard Jewell film, which I think is Clint, Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Yep. Yeah. Which I think I'm an apologist on the movie. I kind of like it. It's not, I, I, think, that, it I think that movie is fine. The yeah. lead actor, his name escapes me, but he's quite good in it. I think he was the guy from, was he the guy? in the town wasn't he one of the guys i don't know anyway um <laughs> it's been more uh, uncut, than 10 years since i've watched that yeah. so. uncut gems which um i really like yeah. uh, this and um the one of the greatest movies of all time cats comes out oh um and then obviously star wars and then 1917 um and little women as well so lots of you know good movies come out in December because of Christmas and people being off. Um, I think that's like the last month um, that there's a bunch of like high profile films that come out. And then sadly COVID comes not much, you know, February ish, March ish and things kind of change after that. So this is kind of the last hurrah for film for theaters. So did uh, um, now you did not see this Brad in the theater, correct? I did not. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know why. Oh, because I have like kids, and December is tough when you have <laughs> a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So yeah, but no, it, I, I would have liked to, um, but I did not. And it it was out. I was here. too busy also seeing Star Wars like five times. So yeah, we you know. we left Indiana early from Christmas to come back because it was playing at the Egyptian. And um, the whole family, it wasn't playing nowhere in near Evansville or Louisville. So we bolted back a day early to catch this. And Caesar, I think you saw it at the, did you see it at the Egyptian as well? Well, um, I did catch it in the Egyptian, but the first time I watched it was um, a screener from Wellgo. Oh, okay. So I watched it with, you know, watermarked uh, <laughs> on a, on a computer screen projected onto a television. So, okay. So 
Um, this one is once again directed by Wilson Yip. Uh, we've got four screenwriters attached now, Edmund Wong, uh, Tai Li Chan, and Lai Ying Lung, who both all worked on the other Ip Man films. I think Edmund Wong and Tai Li Chan have been um, associated with all of them. Um, and then there's a new script writer here, uh, Dana Fukazawa, who um, not, I mean, I can't even remember what this person's done. I, I know they've done some Hong Kong or Chinese co-production scripts. Action choreographer, they bring back Yun Wu Ping. Uh, Donnie Yen, obviously, is it, man. He's a producer on this film, which he was the producer on Master Z as well. So kind of the last two films in this franchise, he's, he's got more significant, um, uh, I would say, behind the camera uh, clout. We get uh, Danny Chan. He reprises his role as Bruce Lee. Now, I thought it was interesting, Caesar. you, you talked about um, Stephen Chow, because if I wasn't going to pick High Risk, the other movie I would pick would be Shaolin Soccer. And specifically for Danny Chan, he plays, um, is it Empty empty Hands or Lightning Hands in Shaolin Soccer, the goalie? Um, you know, it has been a while since I've seen <laughs> Shaolin Soccer as well, but he's the goalie, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those, um, you know, depending on what release what release you watch, they don't actually have names. You just call them by their technique. Right. Because yeah, everyone like the only one who really has a name, Stephen Chow, his name is Singh, just like, you know, just like his real name, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that he has a name. Empty hands is his technique, if I'm not mistaken though. Okay. Yeah. And he's, he, he plays this goalie who takes on the, the persona of Bruce Lee. Um, and it, it's fantastic, but he was so good in that he did a, a Legend of Bruce Lee TV series in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's played, you know, Bruce Lee in that TV series. He played Bruce that's a, Lee. That's a variable quality, though. Let's just put it out there. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I was going to ask you about that. It's so. on Netflix right now, I believe. Um, there's a truncated version that was okay. released in the United States, which kind of has highlights um, because the show itself is, I want to say, 26 episodes. Um, and it's a slog to get through. I think the the version that was released on disc and possibly the one on Netflix, I'm unsure was, you know, they edited a number of scenes out of it in order to kind of move it along. So from 26 episodes into about like a three hour version, I think was what does the disc work? version got. It doesn't. I mean, the the series itself in full form does not work, um, but it has a number of really great um, martial artists that uh, Danny has a chance to fight. You have everyone like Mark Dacascos. Uh, oh, uh, Gary Daniels, you know, lots of Is it of supposed to be like biographical? Um, um, I mean, yes, biographical in the way Ipon, these okay. Ipon films are, I guess. Okay, so no. Uh, <laughs> is it like better than the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? Or? You, know, you know, well, I mean, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story probably leans closer to the Ipmon films. I think uh, they are, the inaccuracies that that movie has, I think, are fun. Um, you're not you're not going to get any complaints from me with any kind of lionization of Bruce Lee, but you know, you're not going to look at that as a doc, a, a documentary either. Yeah. Right. Well, we also get, um, as Wan Zong Hua, Yu Wu, um, Vanda Margraf is Wan Yona, who's, um, Wan's daughter. Uh, Vanessa Wu is Hartman Wu. Um, Chris Collins as Colin Frauder. He was in Paradox and Wolf Warrior. Um, Wolf mm -hmm. Warrior is a Wujing film. And, and Brad, Paradox has shown up, I think, in just about every one of our discussions. I know, I know. It's on Netflix. I know you haven't watched it yet. Um, Amazon Prime. 
Amazon Prime. Okay, Mark Strange uh, is in this as well. Fights um, the the Bruce Lee character uh, in the alley. He's known for stunts. Um, he did Red Two. Uh, he's done a couple of Jackie Chan films as you know bit parts. He's a British martial artist. He's pretty good. Um, but the person I kind of want to spend a little time on is uh, Barton Getty, Scott Atkins. So in in each one of these Ip Man films, like when we talked about the first one, we spent a lot of time on you know uh, Donnie Yen or uh, Sammo Hung. When we're, we're talking about Ip Man 1, 2, and 3, there's always somebody that's popping up you know, that we can spend a lot of time on. Ip Man 4 has a lot of returning characters, but the new villain that they introduce and what I think is, is one of the most fun martial artists out there in terms of um, making films is Scott Atkins. I mean, Caesar, what, what's your opinion on Scott? I mean, he's a phenomenal physical specimen. I think his physical ability um, really translates well into action scenes. Like he can tell a story with his, uh, with his body in a way that's you know, unheard of outside of you know, dance, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I think his prowess, especially as a baddie, is, you know, not minuscule. And I think that his talent, um, I think, and desire to kind of proliferate like action film, especially martial arts filmmaking in the West, is something to be admired. Um, I can't say that he's a great actor. <laughs> but I don't you think know. anyone can. No offense. Yeah, he's he's imminently watchable though. And you know, he's a guy that, you know, I want to support as much as I can because he's putting it out there. He does the movies, you know. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't put it in the same level despite how much affection I have for it. But like he's doing movies like the Golden Globus action films of the eighties that a lot of us have grown up with. Except, yes. you know, his movies, he's like pretty much the only guy that's really doing it though, you know? So I mean, how don't you why don't you want to support a guy like this? Yeah. Well, and he's doing them and you like watching them. I mean, Brad, are, are you that familiar? Give me with that ninja working? all day long. Yes. Ninja. Give um, me ninja. I was going to, and I, when I was looking at his filmography, what's funny is, and I've always felt this, and I think you said it, Caesar. he's, he's making the 80s probably C-list, B-list action films that, um, you know, Chuck Norris maybe had done. I think better quality. Uh, but what you, got, what you get with Scott Atkins is probably for every one or two of his films, you're going to have two that just aren't, you know, that, that great. He's just, he's putting it out there, but there is. He's so prolific though. He works like, he does like three or four films a year though. So yeah, that's not a bad ratio, a hit every year. Yeah. Well, even if he's doing like three films a year and one comes out being fantastic, I'm good with that. Cause the other two, I'll watch them. They're okay. I just won't go back and rewatch them. But I was, I was looking through his filmography. Um, he got his start kind of in television in late nineties um, but then his first films that he was working on, one was a Jackie Chan film, The Accident on Spy in 2001, um, Extreme Challenge in 2001. He's, he's working as a henchman um, and stunt guy for Jackie Chan, The Medallion 2003, um, is in a Jet Li film uh, as a pit fighter in Unleashed, aka Danny the Dog. Yeah, he's the spiky-haired guy, if I remember. He does, yeah, the spiky he does his flash kick move in that, scene, in that movie, I remember. Yep. And I, I think it's 2006 when he does the Undisputed 2, um, Last Man Standing, where he, he kind of creates the um, Yuri Boega character. Um, Boyka. Boyka. Okay, right. Um, he, he really makes a splash on the action scene. Um, and he ends up being in the Born Ultimatum 2007, Ninja in 2009. You talked about that one, Brad. 
Um, I didn't. I did not know he was in X Men Origins Wolverine. He was um, Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds air, was the air voice. Quotes. Air quotes. Yeah, he was. He was the body. Does uh, Undisputed Three? El Gringo, twenty twelve. Did you see that one? I stay away from Mel Gibson from now on. So yeah, I didn't see it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. He does the Expendables too. Well, El Gringo, you're you're thinking about Get the Gringo with Oh, Mel Get Gibson. the Gringo. Yeah, Sorry, El Gringo yeah. is is a there was a series that they were putting out direct to DVD. I think Jean Claude had something in this as well, but there were like four or five films that um, and El Gringo. It, it's Scott Atkins. It's, and Christian Slater. Okay, you didn't tell me Christian Slater. Yeah, it's, it's fun, Gringo. man. Um, didn't know he was in Zero Dark Thirty um oh universal soldier day of reckoning uh that's i mean say what you will about the universal soldier films with jean-claude van damme once you started getting into those later ones there's some great martial arts and i think they're pretty darn good films i you know i'm gonna say i haven't seen those oh caesar come on i've seen i've seen the first two but yeah i haven't watched any of the new found a movie that okay i'm gonna i'm (laughs) i'm writing this date down um yeah you just hard target too that he does a sequel to a jean claude boyka undisputed dr strange american assassin um some of the recent ones he's done so this is 2018 2019 i don't know if you guys have picked up on the accident man i thought that was a fun kind of direct video yeah i thought that was pretty good um that's um has a, a number of like really good set pieces i can't remember who is who's the like is the villain in that film i remember he's got a pretty good fight with amy johnston at the end yes. of that movie though and I, I think they're doing a sequel to that one as well yeah um, i've heard that it yeah. talks about um the debt collector in 2018 which i really enjoyed can't say the sequel that just came out was all that great but the first one is fun um and i actually think one of the best films he's done outside of ninja brad um came out in last year avengement i love avengement avengement's really solid i think i think that's the one where he's starting to like if you were to point is there hope that he could come out with some solid acting chops in the next few years i actually think he's a pretty good actor i I, he's not winning academy awards or anything but avengement i think he's he's really on display here like he's he's grown as an actor i think so too i mean i think there's a handful of um of films where he's taken, uh, I guess, more credits probably behind the scenes too, um, especially with like his work with like Isaac Fiorentine, um, being being able to do films with people that he's worked with before, I think gives him definitely more freedom uh, in a way that say working on a Marvel film like Doctor Strange yes. would really limit him. Uh, maybe that's one of the benefits of him doing these smaller, lower budget films. Uh, the fact that there's not, oversight or at least not so much especially when he's the draw yeah and and i i think you made a very astute like comment about he his action propels the story i think he defines his character by the action he's always a likable character and even when he's just an utter villain i i think he 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 does the heavy really well i mean now when we get into it man four we'll we'll talk about some of his over the top quality acting um, but you know, if, if you look at anything that he's done, I, I really liked him in Expendables too. I, I love the showdown that he has with Jason Statham at the end. I think it's fantastic. And, and if you were going to put two guys against each other, 
that I just would love to just watch them, you know, kick each other in the face. It's Jason Statham and Scott Atkins. I mean, they're, they're fantastic to watch. Well, you know, I will say that when the first Expendables film came out, um, it was marketed as this big return for all these big action stars. The, the one name I was most excited about attached to the first Expendables films was Gary Daniels. Yes. And you think about that film, he's beating up, he, he's beating up Jason Statham. And Jet Li. Um, well, he, then, had, he had to take on both of them. Yeah. So both of they they kill him by teaming up against him. So I was yeah. like, yeah, you know, they're good guys. <laughs> no, it's, it, that's a great point. I mean, that, I, I, I don't want to digress on the Expendable films, but Scott Atkins to me is, is the type of character that, you know, throw him in those type of films with, you know, some of maybe the aging action stars and you're always going to get a plus entertainment in my opinion. Expendables yeah. 2 is, you know, even the films he was doing, Jean-Claude Van Damme, that's what makes those Universal Soldier movies so good is because I think Scott Atkins, had, you know, when he's on screen, um, he outshines, you know, Jean-Claude to a certain degree, um, if not in ev- everything he shows up in. I mean, he has presence, definitely. And like I mentioned earlier, his physical presence is pretty dominating, especially on screen. I'd say, you know, he stands, he, he seems like a tall guy. I'm not sure, you know, actual height but he seems like infinitely tall especially when he's staying in hong kong films against much smaller asian actors yeah no that's true and um the boyka character it's funny um (laughs) i talked about this on the episode as i'm typing things out for notes on my ipad it always wants to change it so it changed boyka to boyega so um yeah my ipad uh the Boyka character, it, I think it's interesting to go from a Walter Hill, I think, undisputed film with Ving Rhames. And was it uh, Wesley Snipes? Snipes was in the first one. And it goes from a boxing film to a mixed martial arts series. And then you get three sequels um, with this guy taking over. And uh, it works. Like th- those three um, are fantastic. And I, Scott Atkins, man. And if, if you want to check him out just as Scott Atkins, he does this series on YouTube um, where he is interviewing um, other action stars. And I think the, the series is called The Art of Action. And my favorite one he's done so far is with another um, action star that I absolutely love, which is Mark Dacascus. So I strongly urge everybody to go and seek out on YouTube The Art of Action with Scott Atkins and specifically the Mark Dacascus interview. So good. The only two I've seen from that are the Mark Dacascos ones and the Cynthia Rothrock one. Oh, so yeah, that I'm, one's good, too. I'm way behind on him. But yeah, yeah he, I, he, uh, I think he has Gary Daniels. Um, they, they have a long discussion on there, too. That's an early, well, that's an earlier one, too, I think. Um, I think both being English-based martial artists, you know, that circle must be pretty small. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, so let's, let's talk about Scott Atkins, um, specifically in Ip Man 4. Um, wow. I, where do we start? I don't know where to start. I, I, I feel like we should start with first impressions. Now, I'm going to be totally honest. I have seen this film quite a few times. Um, and Caesar, obviously, just based on, on you talking about your first experience, you've watched it multiple times too. Brad, have you only watched it once? Uh, yeah, and I watched a little bit again this morning. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to start with you, Brad. First impressions on Ip Man 4. Now, we, we've been, we're, we're following Ip Man. This is his last film. Spoiler alert, we're, we're coming to an end of the Ip Man life cycle here. So we've got heavy drama on the line, right? Yep. Um, yeah, how did, how did Ip Man 4 go down? Oh, boy. This one, 
Joy, I don't know if I like this movie very much. <laughs> I, uh, I don't like Sad It Man. Um, I don't like It Man in the United States. Um, I don't like uh, Mr. Chad Atkins playing Arlie Ermey. Um, I don't know. I just had a lot of problems with this movie. And it's not like the anti-American thing really bothers me that much because I don't care. But this movie's kind of boring. Um, especially for the first half an hour or so. Like, I don't know. Like, what are they doing with this movie? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, this one was really hard for me, which why I, I went back again this morning. and was like, was I being too harsh when I watched it initially or do I really not like it? And I turned it on again and I was like, no, this is just a bad movie. It's just oh, bad. Wow. Um, uh... I don't, the action doesn't really stand out. Like, you know how like in previous Hitman movies, you can always talk about this fight and this fight. And this one is like, uh, eh. So you're saying it, ran, it runs out of gas. Um, oh, yes, definitely. And not only does it run out of gas, but then it like, like T-bones a truck and catches on fire and just, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, but this one, this one just did not do anything for me. Um, every white character in this movie is straight out of like days of our lives acting school. Yes. Um, it's, yep. it's really bad. It's really bad. So, yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a, wow. You came out swinging Brad. All right. I, I got to know Caesar and you've seen this a couple times. Um, first impressions when you first saw it or impressions now when you watched it again, I mean, I think I've maintained my uh, impression from the first time watching, which is this franchise um, has definitely seen law of diminishing returns um <laughs> the movie itself it's fine it's whatever i've seen any number of martial arts films that kind of paint chinese over others um in any number of different ways i think uh the fact that this film is set in the united states and definitely you know these this franchise is definitely a i, I don't want to say overtly nationalistic Oh, um, it is. Oh, it's propaganda. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is I mean, it's a Hong Kong Chinese co-production. Sure, through, yeah. Through, I, but. You know, which I always find is kind of odd considering, you know, Donnie Yen being born and raised in the, or being raised in the United States. Yep. Um, but I guess you got to do what you got to do to keep your, you know, keep, keep food on the table, I guess. But yeah, this movie itself, you know, I'm going to agree with Brad. It's pretty rough. Uh, there's a lot of elements to it that are pretty messy. And, you know, there's some, there's some bright spots. Like I think um, the actress that plays uh, Master Wan's daughter, I think she's pretty good. Um, but you mentioned the non-Chinese actors having like incredibly awful like performances. And I think that's very true. And, you know, it, from anywhere from the early appearance of the actor who plays Billy. Yeah. Um, yep. To, you know, the one specifically that I think is particularly cringeworthy is his scene, not him specifically, but his on-screen co-stars at the INS office is, inc is incredibly bad. Um, I, I think Ching, which is uh, uh, Ip Man's son, is bad too. I, I mean, the two characters, I, you're absolutely right across the board that all the supporting characters in this, and I wouldn't even just put it on the English-speaking actors. Um, I, I think the daughter's fine, but his son... I think, yeah, Ken Cheng's pretty good. Yeah, it, but but Ip Man Sung pl just plays this so one note. I mean, he turns up the you know just the stubborn a hole to eleven, um, and 
I really, I just don't care for this kid. And, and trust me, I have teenagers, right? So I, <laughs> I, I'm going to say on air, my teenagers are the best. I'm sorry, internet, my kids are coolest. But um, even when they are stubborn, they, I, I just, this is overacting at its finest. And there, there's just no subtlety in that performance. So that by the time you get to the end of the film, when it man is trying to connect with them, you're just like, he goes from being totally stubborn to like, oh my God, dad, uh, yeah, just, I want to take care of you and I never want to leave your side. I mean, it, it just goes one extreme to the other. But I think there are so many side characters that, are, that have just horrible acting skills across the board. I couldn't agree with you guys more on that, on that topic. The cheerleader's mom? Like, Ooh. oh my God. The cheerleader's horrible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the cheerleader's name is literally Becky. Oh, yeah. yeah. I also, one of the things I was really disappointed about, if maybe this is just me being an idiot, is one of the first scenes is you get a black guy with an afro kind of walking into the scene and i'm like are they introducing jim kelly in this movie like because that would be great but of course they don't and i was like oh my gosh yeah well billy is bruce lee's student but also for the sake of plot is an ins agent yeah that's very convenient oh uh yeah um i remember seeing this at the egyptian i mean we drove 12 hours to get back to Baltimore to go see it, man. I was so excited. Um, and I think the hype for this thing, because I, I actually love the trailer. The trailer they, that Wellgo put together for the domestic release is fantastic. I love this, the music to it and the sequencing they put together. Um, I think definitely um, they promoted, for people who are genre fans like you, like us, um, the fact that they promote Scott Adkins so heavily yes. against Donnie Yen. I mean, that's that's good editing. I mean, especially in an era where so many trailers are just awful, awfully edited. Oh, I agree. And and that's that's what I was ready for. I was ready for Scott Adkins and Donnie Yen. I couldn't have been more excited. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was still on a Master Z high because um, I love that film. Love that film. Um, and with Yun Wo Ping coming back with the action choreography, my expectations couldn't have been higher. I know my, my whole family was, I mean, Tabitha Cameron and Angel. They, I mean, when I'm like, Hey guys, do you want to just, you know, cut this trip a day early and go see it, man? Cause it's not playing. Oh, yep. Jump in the car. We're gone. Right. So we're in, we're in the theater, we're watching it. And as soon as it rolls, th- it was one of those where it's like, I immediately wanted to defend it. Like I, I just wanted to go, man, I want to go see this again. Cause maybe I missed something. Um, it, I had a little bit of that Rise of Skywalker reaction to it where I'm like, what, what was that? <laughs> um, uh, and I, I can't say that I, I liked it, but I can also say I, I didn't not like it. It just, I felt weird. Then watching it again, I had the reaction where I hated this thing. Um, and the reason why I hated it was simply because we're watching all these Ip Man films from one, two, three, Master Z into this one. And in my head, I'm like, okay, every one of the Ip Man, so specifically Ip Man one, two, three, and four, they're all the same movie. Um, they, they have the same plot, right? And this one is probably the closest to Ip Man 2 because you get with the whole, the Kung Fu masters are fighting, um, Donnie, Donnie Yen has a, a student that is um, kind of at the center of the picture. So in Ip Man 2, it was his first Wing Chun student. In this one, it's Bruce Lee, right? Um, he then has to fight, you know, an American towards the end. So it's, it's hitting all the notes of Ip Man 2, which I really enjoy. But how did we go from Ip Man 2 when he beats Twister 
and he gives this speech of, hey, martial arts isn't about, you know, dominance or me here proving that Wing Chun is better than boxing, but it's, you know, cultural understanding. And he gives this passion speech. How do we go from Ip Man 2 to Donnie Yen basically saying, we're going to fight racism with more racism. And you know what? The grass is greener on the other side. No, it's not. I'm staying in Hong Kong. F you America. Um, I, and, and it's what's unusual is in most of the other Ip Man films, Donnie Yen has such a big impact and influence on the other masters and they exchange perception, but it's usually Donnie Yen's perception that wins out. And he's, and he's kind of promoting, um, cultural understanding even though it's like japanese get out you know western devils go but in this one it's so cold at the ending and it's so depressing um and i i hated that feeling after watching this after especially just watching it man 2 so recently there's um certainly talking about itman's perspective in the film it's definitely more aggressive than you would expect um now, I wonder how much of that would tie into Ipman being aged as opposed to, you know, and his teachings passing on from him to Bruce Lee, which, you know, when you consider his history, you know, I mean, there's a whole so much of um, uh, history between Bruce Lee being himself being racially discriminated against in China or in yes. Hong Kong um, compared to like how he's perceived now, you know, there's something to be said about how easily people can overlook error or, you know, flaws in heroes. Um, even ones that are, that you're seeing develop on screen over the course of 10 years or so. Um, there's a version of Ipmon that exists, you know, to his friends and family. And there's a version of Ipmon that exists to the media and the mainstream and audiences and the country as a whole who, you know, are probably not as interested in learning so much about the character and what he represented. Uh, what what that shows is that the the interpretation of this character is meant to sway, as opposed to uh, reveal. I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. And when you take a step back, um, so I I think we would all agree that the Ip Man films from a martial arts perspective, there, there's two things going on here. There's entertainment, um, there's martial arts on display, and we'll talk about you know, the fight choreography here in a minute. Um, but there's always that message. There, there is, and it's not subtle, it, it's, you know, one is national pride, probably more than anything. Um, two, I, I think there's the national pride, but there's that glimpse or hope for understanding between the cultures. Three, there's that message of the importance of family, even though you're fighting off like the foreign corrupt devils, you know, through Mike Tyson, who's trying to take over the land and the school. Um, and four, you get this, look, your country's too racist. I've, I've been over here and isolationism is better. So I'm going back home. Um, and he starts the film championing Bruce Lee, opening up this culture. Um, and, you know, you, you get that fight sequence with the table when him and uh, Juan, Grandmaster Juan, are discussing, and he's trying to defend Bruce Lee. But I feel like by the end of the film, he's agreeing with Juan, and um, he's just kind of saying, yeah, you're right, man. We, we shouldn't be sharing any of this stuff. Um, I, I, and again, I, 
I, I can't remember where I always saw this, but somebody summed up Ip Man 4 by just saying, how do you beat racism? Add more racism in there. Because the amount of racial slurs, I, I can't remember a film. And may, maybe I'm just sensitive with all the media stuff that's going around. But the amount of racial slurs from both sides actually made me feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody was, was throwing it around. Um, but I get it. In 2010, Chinese are looking at the U.S. and saying, Barack Obama is your president. And we can kind of put this message in in Ip Man 2 about, you know, sort of this cultural understanding. And you get to 2019 and all of a sudden we have Donald Trump for a president. Uh, of course, we're going to get this kind of film. Yeah, that's not going to be one of my questions. Is this an anti-Trump film? I 100% think it is. I think, I think if, if 2020 were a person, it would be Scott Atkins' character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I might have to. Oh, God. I... Yeah, the, the yes, Scott Adkins with the disease from Contagion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that he deli- that you know he can infect with his kicks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I thought about just how different this film could be if it if we weren't in the current situation and we weren't um, as politically charged as we are now. To because. Let's just go out and say the president is very anti-Chinese. And I think this is the answer to that. Yes. By just coming out and saying, okay, um, not only are we going to make this character fit this mold that we want to, going against kind of the first three films, now we're going to completely change him to make him anti-American. Um, and he's just going to beat your wimpy karate um, on your military base Um with your rah-rah, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, it's, uh, it's propaganda at its best. And, and look, I don't have a problem with anti-Americanism. Like, it's hard for me to say, hey, do we love our military a lot? We sure do. <laughs> we hate foreign people right now. Some of us really do. So I can't say they're going out of line. Um, it's just so brazen that it's, it's um, a bit... Like, I, I don't know. I kind of give them props for being that upfront about it. Um, and then releasing it in the United States is like, oh, my God, we're really going for it. Oh, yeah. And it made $4 million. So it's like, <laughs> it's, take it's it. easy for them to do it because, you know, so many of the, so many of the talent that's in that film, you know, are not American. Yeah. No. But I, one thing I always kind of think is weird is when you consider how many, uh, especially in – Donnie Yen films, how many Japanese actors appear in his films which contain anti-Japanese sentiment? Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that is where I've always been fascinated. Like, what do they have to do um, in order to court those type of actors for this type of film? Unless it's one of the, you know, maybe that actor looks at it and says, I'm going to work with Donnie Yen. I'm going to work with Yun Ping. You know, if you're a martial artist and, and you get to work with this caliber of actors, directors, and choreographers, uh, oh, sign up for the racist, uh, you know, gunnery sergeant? Heck yeah, I'm there, right? Um, and it's even interesting um, that Art of Action, if you watch that Mark Dacascus one, Mark Dacascus throws a compliment back during the interview to um, Scott Atkins about Hitman 4. And you could just see Scott Atkins kind of look at it and he... You, you just have to go watch that exchange because he's basically like, yeah, I played the character that Wilson Yip needed for that story. Um, and even then you can recognize that Scott Atkins felt a little uncomfortable 
um, with that character, but he did kind of what he was asked to do um, for that plot. But I, here's the thing about the film. It's made me come back and make lots of notes after I watched it and go back and watch scenes again and even search out little video essays and other things about it. Um, and the more I think about it and the more I take in what it was doing and even the scripting and the choices, acting aside, let's not talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about like what it says in the plot and everything else. It is overtly racist on both parts. It, it is, here's something it did that I did not really expect it to. It is not just a, hey, look how racist America is, but it does portray that the racism also is displayed on the size, uh, side of the Chinese. Um, and it has very astute observations like, hey, America is the land of supremacy and superiority, right? Because mm -hmm. it's reliant on its foreign influence. It, it says that, right? Um, the example is the Japanese karate, which they call combat karate. Uh, but it has a tendency to deny other cultures while boasting about its melting pot history. And it does that in this film. And I think that's a super smart observation that comes through. And um, it's, a, it's a very smart criticism of the rhetoric that's happened, not just today, but historically about America. And it's that stuff on display as, long as, as well as the blatant racism that I actually think this movie's pretty damn smart. Um, There's a version of this film that works, which I there think is, is frustrating. Yeah. It is. And, and I, can't, I can't decide if my frustration with this film, I can't sit here and tell you, like 10, 20 years from now, like when I have grandkids and I, I kind of want to go, hey, what was 2020 like? Of all the films I've seen, I would go, let's watch Ip Man 4 and you'll get a taste of what 2020 was like, even though it's set, you know, in the 60s. I think it's spot on. That's pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I don't know that I'd consider it in that way um, for a movie that didn't leave me with any particularly strong feelings either way. I mean, you certainly can grab like the overt racism you know that's obvious but when the movie doesn't like move you i think that speaks to the quality of the film as opposed to its content um, yeah i i would agree with that i i think it misses the spot on the you don't how do i say this it man three you you get a strong connection to him his bond with his kid and his wife that you, you really feel it like and we talked about it at the last episode um when that fight scene in the hallway it it it's emotionally investing because his wife's in the elevator and he's got a lot, he's protecting her and you're invested in that character here. I'm not invested in the character, but I am invested in its criticism. If, if you could say that. Okay. So are we saying that the wife is the glue to this series? <laughs> <laughs> Cause it might be. <laughs> I never thought of that. Uh, well, it's not the sun. I can tell you no, that. It's not the sun. No. <laughs> Well, yeah. that's a different son. That's not Ip Chun. That's Ip Ching, though, right? Yeah, right. So that's his other son who becomes the martial arts instructor is, you know, the now absent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, no, I just, I, like I said, that's my, that's my initial reaction to it. it. Wasn't, didn't hate it, didn't really like it. 
And then when I watched it again, after seeing Ip Man 2 so close, my, my first reaction, and I, I remember watching with my son and he goes, I really like that film. And I'm like, oh, really? Why? And he's like, I, I just, I, I, I think it's trying to say something. I, I, I like the action choreography, but he's like, there's something there. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm missing something because I'm really agitated right now. Um, but when I take a step back and, and maybe he's picking up on something that just totally blew by me, but it took me a good week. I mean, I'm glad we weren't recording this even a day ago because I, I keep thinking about it and turning in my head. And I'm like, these movies always have something that it's saying. Um, and I, I think this was a precursor, you know, this came out in December. I think this was kind of going, Hey, this is, uh, this is what it's going to be like next year. And it's sad because, I mean, if you think about it, it's 2020 and its best criticism is that in 2020, we have not advanced past our mentalities of the 60s. Well, some of us have. Some of us have. I do want to say that. with a broad brush. Certainly the, uh, um, you know, uh, certainly like the over overly racist, uh, you know, caricatures that you see in this film, you know, there is a handful of, you know, not so much so. You get that with Bruce's students. You get oh, yeah, that, yeah. You get that with, um, you know, the cheerleading coach. You get that with, um, you know, a handful of others. But so, you, yeah, they are certainly just overshadowed, especially when combined, they all probably have 20, 20 words to say the entirety of the film. Well, I, yes, but I, so I agree with you. Throughout the entire film, um, you've got a ton of different characters and that's a good point. The gym teacher, right? There's a little bit of racism from Becky or Karen or whatever her name is, the blonde cheerleader. And the, um, the gym teacher, you know, says, Hey, stop this. She, she earned it. Yep. She improvised. She's, she's still fantastic for what she did. I think the problem is it's it man's reaction. It, it's not the Scott Atkins character that takes the wind out of me in my viewing of it. It's it man's reaction to beating Scott Atkins. Um, you get this sort of um, Hartman start makes, making everybody to clap and you get this pan over those soldiers and you get this look on the soldiers like, I don't think anything's going to change. And even it, man, um, he's realizing that, okay, um, the, the, again, that comment comes out about the grass isn't greener on the other side. I mean, it, man, changes from the beginning of the film to a realization at the end of the film that this is all messed up. And yeah, I just beat the tar out of Scott Atkins and twisted his arm or broke it into ways that are totally disgusting. Um, but it's not changing anything. And hence, he's going back to Hong Kong. Well, and then and one of the other things that kind of stood out with that is even, even if you go back to It Man 2 with Twister and their fight, there was still some honor like between the guys. Yes. Um, yep. Here, it's completely gone. Like the way he defeats scott atkins character is like almost to the point where it's like this brutality that you've never seen before that is obviously trying to make a point that like hey we're so much better that we're just gonna like really beat you up not just like you know now, you're not just gonna be, tap out i could be mistaken but like uh in those final that final series of exchanges where he defeats scott atkins is that the first time you see it do a groin shot I think oh, so. Yes, I, I think, think so. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, you would see Bruce Lee, of course, in his in his um, films, he's famous for you know doing groin shots to foreigners who would oppress Chinese. So, towards the end, I remember thinking when I saw that, I was like, "Huh." Um, 
I didn't recall what, I mean, based on the character, obviously he typically wouldn't, but I mean, that's the point when like that line is crossed for that character. Um, is that like visually a, and historically in martial arts film. Is that like a degrading sort of move traditionally, I guess? Um, I don't know about like in terms of martial arts, I think okay. that's a callback to how um, separatist isn't the right word, but how, um, hmm. I'm not sure how to articulate this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I never even thought about that, but I, I think you're right. I actually want to research that like later because I, I think there's, um, I don't know, an animalistic nature to Ip Man towards the end of that fight where it's just all out, right? Um, where there's there's not... a moment when he's got his arm and he and he looks right at his face before he breaks it too. So there's, yeah, you know, you know there, there's a moment where he consider, I mean, he considers not doing it but he decides to go through with it. Yeah, it, it, there's brutality. Um, I, I think he's changed. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's weird because <laughs> in two, Twister kills Sammo Hung. So it's Rocky Four, right? And he goes all out, but it becomes a Rocky Four moment where let's come together, right? Ip Man Four, Grandmaster Wong, um, gets beaten by Scott Atkins' character, but he's still alive. He's just in the hospital. But yet... Ip Man does things to Scott Atkins' character that he doesn't do to Twister. Um, and, I mean, I could expect maybe that after killing Samuel Hung, but not after what he did. I mean, I, that, yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but let's, let's well, talk I mean, about I guess, like, if you have Samuel Hung doing choreography in Ip Man 2 and your character dies, you know, yeah, I mean, that's a different caliber, I guess, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, you don't, you know. <laughs> well, it, he's allowed to kind of evolve and to be a little bit more like I have really not a whole lot to live for anymore because I have throat I cancer. I think the character though. Yeah, I but yeah, you can see, right. yeah. yeah, but you can see how they could lean into that and say, okay, he, his wife is dead. He is going to die because he's, you know, smoked his entire life. Now he has throat cancer. Um, but I don't think it's earned. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and say, you know, it's there to be done right. I, I think to, to really lean into the fact that maybe he's kind of a man on his own now because of his wife and cancer, but it's just executed extremely poorly. I think it's a message, man. I want to, I, I do not. I think that's the problem with me enjoying the film is it's not that sequence is not done out of character. It's done out of a strict message. What, what they're trying to say through what they do to the Scott Atkins character. I could be totally wrong and yeah. everybody could tell me I'm wrong. No, I, I think that there's, you know, you look at like the, um, the INS officer, mm -hmm. you know, there's no repercussions for him. Right. You know, there's, you know, Chris Collins is, is hurt, you know, bro, you know, broken rib. But I mean, what's that in martial arts? What's that in the military? That's nothing. Right. You know, yeah, pleasure. It it's a pleasure to get beaten up by, <laughs> by like, well, Donnie it, Yen, you, you know? get the Bruce Lee uh, fight scene um, in the alley against Mark Strong and they're beating the crap out of each other. And at the end, you know, um, Bruce Lee clearly beats him. And Mark Strong gives him the thumbs up. You were talking about like honor within fighting. You see that at the beginning. You see that between the Bruce Lee character and what is going on with Mark Strong um, to where they have this exchange. And, and at, at the end of the fight, um, you know, he, he acknowledges the skill of Bruce Lee and gives him the thumbs up. You don't get that in the last fight scene here. You get Ip Man just going, 
I, I don't want to say psycho, but it just doesn't have that control, that character that he displayed through all of the other films. And I, I think yeah, that's I mean, intentional. You see, him, you see him do moves on Chris Collins that he holds back on, but he fully executes them on Scott Adkins' character. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. The throat move, right? And uh... It's great. Well, let's talk about the, the choreography. So um, in, in true Yun Wu-Ping fashion for, for three, this, this has a buildup, right? So in Ip Man 3, they sprinkle a couple of action scenes in the, in the beginning until they tar- start to get into some longer choreographed scenes. So this one um, kind of does the same thing where in the very first, I guess, punch or kick thrown um, starts with Bruce's demonstration. Um, then you do a little flashback. They don't really show much, but you do get to see Bruce fight. Uh, then, you, you know, Billy shows up. And the second sequence is Billy fights the Ip Man students. Um, and then, you know, Ip Man travels to the U.S. You get the glass table exchange, which I liked a lot. I always like, you know, seeing martial arts portrayed in something other than just, well, I'm going to hit you with my fist and kick you really fast and stuff like that. Um, but again, those first three exchanges or fights. I'm relating that to the drink and master z right yeah and, and i love the whole sequence of you know bruce's book is being passed back and forth yeah. through that rotation. it always stops exactly where it needs to stop yes in, yeah in my mind i was thinking about um there's a movie with donnie yen called heroes among heroes um but in the scene i'm thinking about donnie yen is not in that scene it's the wong fei hung character uh-huh. looking to get ginseng from a korean martial artist slash doctor so like they're dueling with by trying to get the ginseng on a teacup. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I, I, I do, but it, the most recent one that it reminded me of was Master Z with Michelle Yeoh and uh, the whole whiskey glass exchange. I mean, I, I... Or, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda. Yes, that one. <laughs> Another good <laughs> reference. I like that one. Um, so you get those three sequences, but nothing really major, just really subtle hints at some good martial arts choreography. And then you get to the fourth sequence, which is Bruce Lee's um, fight scene in the alley where he starts with three students and goes to Mark Strong, who's a British martial artist. I, I love that sequence. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Really cool scene, yeah, I agree. Um, I love when Bruce kicks the nunchucks and hits the guy in the head. Like that, that's my favorite sequence of the whole film. <laughs> well, they recreate a number of moments from Way of the Dragon in that scene. Yes. Um, alley, alleyway sequence, so. The only thing I don't like about it is there's a hint of wire foo in it when Bruce Lee's coming off the wall. And that's where it takes me out of it because I'm not used to outside of maybe Stephen Chow or, you know, Wong Jing films. I'm not used to Bruce Lee getting the wire treatment. I don't think you need it. You definitely don't need it. Um, you know, with this actor, I think, but um, you that, say that's that. My- you say that, but in like Big Boss, doesn't he kick a guy into a Looney Tunes size hole in the in the wall? He does. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. You just you remember that very concentrated, fluid, but um, burst of action that always came from Bruce. And I think I think they capture that and how Danny Chan moves in that sequence is so fantastic. I mean, I'll say it now that that um, there's two fight scenes that I really like out of this, and that's the first one. I, I really love it and. Um, I, I wish it wasn't at night. Like sometimes I really don't like stuff that's overly dark. I felt like it was just a tad too dark. I wish kind of you could see a little bit better. Um, even in like the 4K, it was like, eh, I, I want some. I want it to be well lit. Um, you I, didn't know, like, was, I didn't think it was too bad. I mean, there's a good there's good framing that yeah. exists there. So, I think- but just think about like it, man. Like in 
it man one where he's in the house and it's just like this grand sort of oh, thing yeah. it's well lit and but he's in of, he's in dirty grimy america now yeah i know <laughs> yeah it's a back alley gonna buy some heroin after this and get no. a prostitute yeah well, join the, the manson family yeah, right after. yeah yeah the the next sequence you get is in daylight where it man starts beating up on teenagers and um he gets well, hurt right with the metal gate which ends up you know following through the rest of the film does um, it does it Master Wan, I guess, just that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. film itself only takes place over the course seemingly over like four or five days, right? Yeah. Very short like period of time. A week in America thing. Um, if that. Um, then I I don't know what you guys think about this one. So the the thing that I know we talked about ad nauseum in the in the Ip Man three was the final fight scene between Master Z and Ip Man with the Wing Chung versus Wing Chung. I know Brad, you didn't like the the staff and the knives, but you, you love the, uh, the handwork. Yeah. Right? Everything after that. Yeah. Um, I really liked the technical aspect of the sixth um, exchange, which was Wing Chung versus Tai Chi Chuan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just masterful choreography. Um, I, I don't know what you guys thought about that. Like to, to me, that was the highlight of the film. You know, it's a, it's a cool scene um, at the same time for having seen so many films traditionally, you know, Tai Chi is in martial arts film considered the ultimate technique. It tends to be the one that would always surpass anything else, you know, meet soft, meet like power with uh, softness. Right. Um, but for a series like Ip Man, wherein Wing Chun is like the emphasis in terms of martial arts, it's very interesting to see them against each other. You don't see Tai Chi maneuvers in this film, aside from the flourish so much. I mean, you see him, you know, throw knees in Tai Chi in his technique and stuff. So, I mean, I guess combative Tai Chi within within the world of this film is quite a bit different from like the Tai Chi I know from Black Belt Theater. Yeah, well, and that I think, and that's the thing I think everybody has to realize, even in the Wing Chun films, Donnie Yen is going to be throwing kicks that aren't in traditional Wing Chun because it's a Donnie Yen film. Um, and like you said, in the, in the Tai Chi Chuan that's, that's shown in this, you get the flourish, but... I think visually it represents with Donnie Yen, you know, attacking very directionally um, and his punches are, are moving linear and Master One's techniques are always coming around from the side and it has that flourish and movement that Tai Chi has. Uh, and especially on the overhead shots that they do, you see that exchange and it works really well. In particular, there's one exchange um, with uh, Master One and uh, the, gun- the gunnery sergeant that I, I like a lot. It's just a small, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching martial arts films, I'll see like a little moment that might take like a half a second, which is just a series of techniques that just really sticks out in my head. In particular, there's one where Juan does like, um, he does like a, a back right hand into like a, almost like a falling back fist uh, against Guy Atkins' character. It's early on in the fight when he's able to land a number of hits on him. Yeah, which I remember thinking it was like really cool. And I'm like, this is, yeah, this is a, more accurate representation of Tai Chi um, that as I know it the, um, in this scene than in the versus Donnie Yen moment. Yeah. Master Wan. I mean, I, I think, I think he has, I really like him as a grandmaster. I mean, I liked his character, not as much mm-hmm. as Master Z, but I thought he, he, you know, carried himself very well in this film and, and I like his use of Tai Chi. Um, and then from there, that, that really, when you get the Bruce Lee alley scene, that's where, it really starts to come in uh, in terms of the, the grand action sequences. And after the Wing Chun versus Tai Chi Chuan 
you get your introduction of combat karate, um, you know, versus Wing Chun with the Colin versus Hartman. Uh, I, I don't. What do you What do you guys think of Colin? I, I as a oh, baddie, so, as a character. I mean, he's pretty one note. You know, I think yeah. probably even more so than Scott Adkins' character is, um, because he doesn't he doesn't hide it. Like Scott Adkins, he says, you know, I've his first line is in the film is something like, you know, I've heard rumors that people on the base think I'm racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at least he's, he's like, you know, I mean, I don't think Chris Collins character is a denier. <laughs> he knows what he is. Right. Yeah. I, um, I, I agree. I, I like his movement though. Like for a guy that that's bulky, I thought he thought he's quick in, in terms of his. I don't he's know, definitely punch. capable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he, I think he's, he's got a build because uh, he mentions, I'm not sure about his actual like martial arts pedigree, but he's got a build like a Kyokushin karate guy. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. I mean, you I, know, Don I Yen sells it. Yeah. Don Yen doesn't, um, you know, you look at his arms, Don Yen's like very <laughs> physical, you know, he, that's not the arms of a Wing Chun guy. Right. <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, it's a movie. So Chris Collins himself, I actually, I just watched a film that he did the action choreography for, but it was rough. So I was like, Mm, I don't know, maybe work a little bit more in some other pictures before you, know, you step into this role. Oh, I Especially agree. I, I'd be interesting. I mean, I, I barely remember him in Paradox and, and Wolf Warrior. I, I, remember, I remember him falling. That's yeah. what I remember. Yeah. yeah. Brad, you need to watch Paradox, by the way. I'm going to. Okay. <laughs> yes, Dad. <laughs> um, then, you know, Colin shows up at the, uh, the festival and then takes on all the Kung Fu Masters, right? Um, what do you think about that sequence? I'll, I'll tell you my favorite part is when um, the female grandmaster steps up and out of everybody that can't, she's the one that's landing punches on him. Yeah. So, and I thought Absolutely. that was fantastic. Yeah. Ma- master Chang, right? Yeah. She rules. Um, yeah. I think into the film, I definitely consider that my favorite sequence um, in terms of like martial arts. It's just, you know, a handful of different techniques, one after another going against uh, karate. And I think, you know, Chris Collins karate is actually pretty good. I think, you have a hard time uh, showing real karate techniques on in a in a Chinese film. Um, there's a, there's a handful of examples, but usually it tends to degrade as, you know, into just a series of chops. You know, it and I, you know I blame Sonny Chiba sometimes for that <laughs> <laughs> um, from the seventies. But you're right. I mean, it, but when it's done well, I I think it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, I think uh, specifically, I really enjoy when they do. Um, karate style blocks yes um to counter like chinese like punches i think that's really cool um you see a handful of that but he's kind of like the steamroller he just you know takes everything and knocks people out quick so um i think i don't know if i'd call that a missed opportunity but uh, you know that's my personal preference so you know. well and, and that sequence leads to him taking on Ant man which is another continuation and i i Again, I thought that was a that was a great sequence. The, the only problem up to this point, um, and I think Brad, you talked about it a little bit when we talked about It Man too. Like your favorite sequence was the table exchange. It's yeah. unique and everything else. Yeah, it's um, different. Yeah, th- this one doesn't feel that different because it's oh, it's at a festival, karate versus the grandmasters. Um, it it's kind of exciting, but it's not unique. Um, and then you get Scott Atkins versus the Kung Fu Masters just goes in there, wipes the place with him. Right. And then finally you get um, the first of the final showdowns. So it's uh, I thought this was interesting up to this point, there's hints of wire, but I don't think 
I actually think about of all the Ip Man films, this has the least amount of wire foo in it, but it really starts to show. It starts itself. to stand out though. It starts to stand out when um, the Scott Atkins character is going after Master Wan. It's it's the karate versus Tai Chi Chuan, and like you said, Caesar, some really great sequences in there. But again, I think Yun Wu Ping starts to introduce the wire foo, and I I don't know if it necessarily works because I I think he's using it for both Scott and um Juan's character and and I don't know it, 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 there's what's weird about that sequence is it goes from looking really cool like those segments you talk about to something that looked kind of sloppy well I think uh especially with Scott Adkins he's got the physical ability to do a number of those kicks um without the assist of wires yeah so why not just let him do it oh I agree yeah. um we were talking about Mark Dacascos earlier and there was a film directed by Stanley Tong called um china strike force yeah that so the movie's yeah. not very good but i think the action scenes are pretty spectacular the Coscus is fantastic in that film yeah so but you look at that role mark the his character uses zero wires and he's way more impressive as a villain physically than any of the other characters who do white work so him and i guess like kim wan at the beginning at the beginning of the film um are both very impressive because you know they're solid martial artists that you know, don't need wire work or, you know, embellishment to sell their techniques. But then you have like the leads like um, Wang Li Hum or Aaron Kwok, you know, wires for every move, you know, like, yeah. what's the point? What's the point? That's a lot of Aaron Kwok films. Yeah, Ed, Ed, and, <laughs> and Coolio using wires. So. Oh yeah, Brad, you should teach uh, that one's, that was a fun movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because um, you get an interesting cast, but I mean, I, I don't know what if you want to see Coolio as a villain in a Hong Kong movie. I do, yes, yes. Um, I think when you have big <laughs> I guys, if, I don't know if what you know what you're getting into though. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you have big guys like Scott Atkins, and they're on the wire, they're doing the wire. Unless they're entering the Matrix, it just takes me out because it's like a big guy like that doesn't. That's not what they would do, you know. Like I don't know, with the with It Man and Donnie Yen being like small and agile i believe it more but with the big guys who are you know like scott atkins is built like he's a huge dude like he can do that stuff though you know yeah triple kicks in the air is yeah i don't know but it just it doesn't look as good when they're faking it i guess yeah uh, with a guy like that so what's the point of wires you don't you don't need it for a guy like like that yeah i I agree i mean it and if you watch well brett you've seen ninja you know he he can do the ninja stuff. Let him yes. do the ninja stuff. Yes. Um, and that, and I mean, I think we spent a lot of time already on the final fight between Donnie versus Scott Atkins. Um, I ju- it, it, I don't know. It, it kind of felt like it betrays the character so much that it's hard to kind of. It enjoy. is, and and I I didn't really find it. You know, the thing about the Ip Man films, if you if you really want to break it down in its most simplistic nature, it's really cool to see Donnie Yen just when those fists are flying and he's hitting a guy like 47 times within like two seconds, the sound effects and the motion and how quick he is. I mean, it's just fun. And he's just going up and down a body. Right. And I I always remember how cool that is anytime he does it in these films and you get really excited, but even when he does it on Scott Atkins this time, I'm kind of like, I I don't know. I I mean, and, and maybe it's because it's betraying the character and everything else. I just, it, it, I should have been more excited about that stuff, but 
I was a little bit more like, oh my God, oh my goodness, he did, oh, he did what to his arm? Oh, wow. I mean, it's brutal. Yeah, and this is going to be weird because like finales of these films is like, you know, kind of the peak. And by this time, I was kind of done. It, so I don't, I don't know, I kind of gave this one the least amount of attention. I was just like, eh, I, I'm not into this at all. And I was checked out by the time this was over. So this is the one where I was like, you know what? I'm just, I've seen it and I don't like it and I'm done. I, I wasn't that hard. I mean, I just, I was shocked. <laughs> I can't say I checked out. I was done. I mean, come on. Donnie Yang punching, kicking people. It's, it's always awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, but, it just didn't, you know. it didn't excite me the way that it usually does, I guess. Yeah. If we're, if we're going to talk about the end, I mean, I mean, do you guys do spoilers? I mean, yeah, I guess yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 this whole yeah. time. But, uh, you know, this is, like you said, the final Ipmon film with Donnie Yen. Um, so the finality is, of course, Ipmon passing away by the end of the film. Right. You know, how disrespectful is it for Bruce Lee to wear sunglasses to, like, his wake? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he does. <laughs> um, Pretty disrespectful, I guess. Yeah, I, man, the ending of this, the whole interaction with the son, hey, film me, I'm going to do this one time. Um, I, I know they were going for, you know, that emotional punch that you're supposed to be feeling in Ip Man 3 um, when his wife is passing. Uh, but I just did not get any of those feels during, you know, this. When he connects with his son, I'm like, cool, you connect with your a-hole son. Because the son uh, sucks. Because the son still is an a hole. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It. Wow. Um, I can't leave it on that though. I'll, I'll say this. I have so many mixed feelings about this film. I kind of do about all the Ip Man films. Like two's a good example. Two is just fantastic, and then you get that final fight sequence, and it should be better, especially with Samuel Hung chore- choreographing the fight sequence with Twister. And it just, eh, you know, it, it's okay. Um, so every Ip Man film, I always have kind of a problem with it. But this one to be, I think, as you said, it's, it's the finale, right? That you're going out on this one. You went out on something pretty cold. Um, and you, however, you probably delivered a very mature and insightful commentary on racism. I mean, I, I think of all of the times that the topic of racism comes up in the other Ip Man films, it is handled pretty one note or from a nationalistic perspective. But I do think that's the one thing it did get right. It, it made some very good, insightful comments, even in the language. I mean, if you look at Twister and, you know, his... I don't his soapbox and in his dialogue and monologue and everything goes on versus Scott Atkins. Scott Atkins, the way they wrote that character, you know, he's basically talking about us versus them. It's not just him and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to prove. Um, and and again, I go back to that comment that it's so funny to see somebody who's you know taking a culture and saying this is American culture. Japanese karate is now combat karate. And I'm going to show you how superior America is by using Japanese influence. Um, and to me, I'm like, that, that, that's pretty smart. 
-hmm. Well, you know, as a period film, you know, regardless, you know, films are products of their time. I think it'd be really interesting to look at this film 10 years from now or 20 years from now as an artifact of, like you said, what 2020 um, produced or this period of time produced in terms of film and message um, and culture. Especially internationally. Like, how are we seeing internationally? Not, you know, because that's where you get kind of the most raw interpretation of the United States immigration policy. Well, it depends on our relationship with that country too. Though. Well, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I, you look at like, um, you know, maybe I don't expect film. Canada to, you know, come at us, but China probably. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, yeah. it's, it's, you can whole... look at this film like Rambo three, you know, Rambo yeah. three certainly has not aged as well, just in terms of um, plot point. So, right. No, yeah. absolutely. I, I think, I think the Ip Man series, and especially it just kind of dawned on me when I, when I was really trying to find out why, why did we go from it man to it man four? And I'm like, Oh, well, look at our relationship with China when, when, what was, you know, the presidency and everything going on in 2010 versus 2019. And um, it, it is amazing how in, in you're right, 10 years from now, you could probably show it man and go, Hey, I think this is, it's a great martial arts, um, franchise it i mean it's it's got some talent in there and there's some great fight sequences but it is a um nice way to look at (laughs) chinese perception of their relationship of um outsiders not just the traditional japanese you know soldiers and the occupation is bad but look at um what its messaging was during the evolution of the film series yeah and and you kind of touched on it too but my sort of takeaway from the it man series is like each film except for the finale is like almost there like almost there they're almost all home runs but some of them are triples and some of them are doubles but there's no home runs but they're so damn close yeah and i I kind of wish yeah there's always this one element for two it was the terrible boxing uh one it's kind of the weird shift um you know um Three is kind of, you know, kind of the beginning to get going. I mean, Mike Tyson. Yeah, and Mike Tyson. Yeah, so that's the error number three. (laughs) So it's like they're all almost there, and then you kind of come to this one, and it's like nowhere close. Um, But yeah, that's kind of my takeaway of the series is they're so damn close, but it's just each one of them I have a glaring has a glaring flaw. Uh, I think that's the case for a lot of franchise series, though, too. Yeah, Aside from, like, you know, even the ones that people love. Like, it sounds like, I, you know, I don't know you very well, Brad, but you made a comment earlier about watching The uh, Rise of Skywalker multiple times, so I'm assuming you're a big Star Wars guy. Uh Um, I think you could probably admit that at this point, you know, half of the Star Wars films are just okay films at best. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my argument even if to it's that a franchise is, that I'm assuming that you love. Yeah, and my argument to that is it's about space wizards for 12-year-olds. So, you know, it's not really <laughs> made exactly for me as a, you know, almost 40-year-old man, but I can still enjoy it and have fun. And, you know, of course, there's plot holes and all that stuff. But it, at the end of the day, I, I have fun with those films and, and do enjoy them. Um, again, it's hard to take away the nostalgia for being, you know, five years old and... Oh, yeah. seen Earn of the Jedi, but that's different. But yeah, you're, you're right. Um, it's hard for series to land. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's 
any series? What's like, you know? I don't series? think there's any perfect franchise, you know. Yeah. No, Zatoichi might be it, but uh, yeah. yeah. But even I, I would, I would, you know, Jackie Chan, love Jackie Chan. Police Story One, amazing. Two, amazing. Three, amazing. Four, it, it's got some problems. I, I still enjoy it, and then you get into what is new- it? Oh, sorry. Well, no, I just, I, I think it's an example. You either get like something that starts off strong, but the longer it goes, diminishing returns. Or, you know, the, the thing you can say about it, man, is even though they're all flawed, quality-wise, they're always delivering something consistently. So I would have said thing. Indiana Jones, but then they had to come back with number Crystal four. Skull, yeah, see? Um, Screwed it up. The fourth right. one. The fourth one is the hard one to land, apparently. Yeah, that's, that's true. We should ask, like, what's your favorite fourth film in a franchise? <laughs> uh so resurrection. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I, I think it's time for the question. Um, and I'm gonna start with our, our guest. So Caesar, the, the whole idea of, of not a bomb is, you know, to appreciate the underappreciated. Now, obviously, from a box office um, perspective, it man four was a juggernaut. Uh, it made the most money out of all of them. Um, critically, I, I think, you know, Brad, we didn't talk about 87. That, yeah, it, it's up there. Um, but you know, we came at it from the standpoint that most general American domestic audiences probably haven't discovered the Ip Man franchise, which is why we spent all month on this. Um, because you know, this is, this is probably talked about within our circle of being action fans, but you know, not, not the general moviegoer. It was only shown in, you know, 120 some odd theaters. But the question is, if, if we were talking about Ip Man 4, would you consider this a bomb? Or would you say, no, you know, go discover this thing. It's not a bomb. No, I mean, I don't think it's a bomb. The The film, like you said, you know, made a considerable amount of money internationally. And while the United States, Don Yen isn't the name I think he should be, right? Um, in the household name. Um, okay. The films, you know, are made for a certain type of audience. And unfortunately, that's not, not, not mainstream America. Right. Um, but So the audience that it is made for, which tends to be, um, based on the content of the film, nationalistic mainland Chinese, I think it's quite successful in what they were able to make. Well, so, that's a, that's not a really good point. Yeah, not a bomb. All right, Brad. You came out um, swinging on this one. I'm curious. Yeah, you're I would definitely say this one is a bomb. But if you've seen 3 and Master Z, you might as well, you know, see how it ends. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I yeah, I don't know if you need to do that. Yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. I, I don't know. You're putting it in the bomb category. Yeah, it's a bomb. Okay. Um, if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said it's a bomb and I was really bummed. Um, but after stewing on it, going back, revisiting it again, and just really looking at like, just trying to figure it out. Uh, and, you know, I'll give credit to my son. I mean, he, he, he couldn't put his finger on it, but, you know, he, he's kind of hinting at, yeah, there's something there. I, I can't, I don't know what it is, but I, I, th- I think I like this. And then the more I'm looking at it in the context of what is the film trying to say or what is the film expressing, because there's always a theme to, to these, I, I would say that it, it's not a bomb at all. I, I think it's going to take you a few watches to appreciate it, unfortunately. And I'll be the first to say from the choreography perspective or the, the face kicking element, um, it's probably not the best out of the series. Oh, it's the worst by far. Yeah, I actually think it's, it's a pretty smart film um, in what it's trying to depict. And it's got a message there. 
and we may not like it because of all the crap that's going on, but I can't deny it's not accurate to a certain degree. I feel like this is that asshole kid that went to college and took one philosophy class and comes back and starts trying to tell you about all this stuff he learned. And you're just like, shut up. You're not smart. You're not, <laughs> not smart. That's kind of what I feel like this film is. Well, it's that kid who found a new author. Yeah. They're disregarding everything else they've read in that class in the fourth quarter. It's like that guy. Who, yeah. This, the, the, author of fight club they're like let me tell you about this guy he wrote fight club and choke it is so edgy yeah yeah no i i don't know like i said give me another week and i'll probably think it's a bomb but today i mean the more i just sat on it i'm like ah, man i i i want to love it i don't love it, it I, i'll tell you where it lands if we're going to rank him it's last but I, yeah. I still think it's i still think you should check it out i really do um, do we want to rank these real quick? Do you, do you, do you know? Yes, I got my list. You got your list? All right, what's your yes. list, Brad? Um, so this is from best to worst. I have Master Z, uh, It Man 2, It Man 1, It Man 3, and then a cliff, and then It Man 4. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Caesar? if you had to rank them? All the It Man films? Yeah, including Master Z. That, that is part of the franchise. Okay. Um, it Man 1, Master Z. It Mon two, three, and then finale. Well, my my list would be exactly yours, Brad. Masters Z at the top, fours at the bottom. You got number two there, then one and three. I mean, I I I would I wrote it out exactly as you. Yep. Um, and I would say, look, if if you're like, hey guys, I'm only gonna watch one of your martial arts picks from September. Masters go Z. watch Master Z. <laughs> it's it's the most fun, I think. Um that was that was an awesome discussion. I I really didn't know where there, where this was gonna go um, because this is one of those films that um, a lot of people I talk to really like it, or I've talked to a lot of people who are like, man, I hated it, man. For there there was no in the middle of it, so I was curious where we were gonna land. It was good. Yeah. A lot of people tend to speak in hyperbole. You know, most movies are just okay. Most movies aren't great. Most movies aren't awful. They're just somewhere in the middle. You just gotta find out where you lean on either end. Yeah, no, that that's a great observation. All right, Brad. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, you want to do um, all the 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 stuff like? Yeah. So breaking news: we finally got a Facebook page. Oh and, yeah, we did. <laughs> and uh, we've hired someone. Uh, Troy is giving You're, her a roof over her head, so she has say, to do hire, it. Hire, yeah. using the term hired very loosely well, there. She gets food and shelter, so that's, you know, a wage of some kind. Um, yeah, so we have a Facebook page. Uh, search for Not A Bomb on Facebook, and you can go like our page. Um, We're posting uh, stuff on it, or she's posting yeah, stuff. Yeah, and um, Instagram is also at not a bomb podcast pod okay um uh twitter at not a bomb pod gmail not a bomb podcast at gmail.com for um suggestions we did get another suggestion troy which was serenity yeah Yeah. which is based on firefly yeah we had a listener mia she put in um we she was one of the early ones that found out we had a Facebook page and uh, sent us a message and said, my suggestion is serenity. So we added to the list. Cause that, that's a great pick. 
Yes, um, and I haven't seen that movie in forever, so I will I will take a chance to see that again at some point in time. So we added it to the list. Um, and she's doing a good, I will say she's already started posting stuff. Um, she posted a SpongeBob karate image. Your uh, daughter, that is. Yes, not for Sabrina. Hitman. Yes, yeah. I don't know. I forgot what title we gave her, like the assistant to the <laughs> regional social media, media director. Director, something. yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out what's on her business card but um yeah seek it out we're we're hoping that she does a lot with it um it's yeah. good exposure for her because we don't know how to do it and uh, i don't want to do it <laughs> <laughs> that's true but yeah we'd love to hear your comments on uh everything that we talked about that was it man related donnie yen any suggestions you have please send it our way um we love interacting with all of you brad um man i don't know how we're going to follow up with september but uh we got another theme coming next month what's that we have Spooktober coming up, which means all horror movies all the time for uh, the next. That's gonna be awesome. Few weeks, yes. So, Caesar, I, what's, what's your favorite horror film? Oh God, Tale of Two Sisters. The, the Korean film? Yeah. Oh wow. really? Wow. I, I watch. Um, I mean, every Halloween I have three films I watch. It's Tale of Two Sisters, John Carpenter's Halloween, and the original Romero Night of the Living Dead. So those are my never, never miss three. But okay. um, October is the month where I watch a horror film. I try to watch a horror film every night. So at least 31 horror films. Um, are you consistent? Have you, have you been doing it every year? Uh, I think I, I've hit, last year I hit like 40. Horror wow, films. wow. But um, a, a lot of last year was also 50s and 60s, like 60, 70 minute horror films. So um, I had off a couple Sundays, so I ended up just watching those all day a couple times. But you know, that's horror films specifically. I'll I'll pepper in other films in the in the around and around. But I think it'll be a lot easier this year, considering there's no theaters open. Yeah, you won't be able yeah. to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So the time I would use in travel or sitting in a theater, that's I could squeeze in half another half film. A movie or so. There you go. But, yeah. Tale well, of Two Sisters, uh, though, it's amazing. Yeah, we'll I, have to. I, re- I I have it. I, I do love that film. I now I got to go back and revisit because never seen number it. one. I haven't watched that thing in probably at least ten years. Yeah. Okay. If you want, I did a I did a podcast episode on it on a on one that uh, is currently on hiatus. Maybe I'll link it to you. Yeah. Send yeah, us a link. Sure. We'll post it, man. Um. What's but, so? What's the Troy, first one? Yes. What? Odd mm-hmm. me seventeen. Oh yeah. We're week. going back to picking. Yeah. Okay, you're picking. So, I can't so wait I, to see. What are you picking? <laughs> I picked the 1986 film. It was originally called Killbots. Oh, it no. It was by Chopping Mall. Oh, my God. Um, it comes in at a grand runtime of, well, there's a director's cut that's 95 minutes, but I think the one that's easy to get is the 76 minutes, Troy. So, um, Chopping yeah. Mall. Chopping Mall. Okay. Uh, the guy who directs this is a little pervy. Uh, <laughs> He has a, his gnome de plume is H.R. Blueberry, and he uh, has some films that are in the softcore porn uh, category. Um, Chopping Mall dips his foot into the, the softcore porn uh, waters just a little bit, but... Um, what did you pick, Brad? Oh yeah, my Chopping God. Mall. Okay. Chopping mall. All right, Chopping. Well, we're, we're starting out with a bang, Chopping Mall. <laughs> I'm... I don't know how to follow that up with my pick, but now I've got to do a lot of research if, yeah. if you're going 80s. Okay, I'm excited. Um, I remember seeing that film in the 80s. Uh, I, 
That's the security killer security robot. Yeah, it's Johnny Five, but killer robot. Oh, all right. Okay, now I'm kind of excited for this one. All right, good pick. Good pick. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, Caesar, I, man, I am so glad we could do the last Ip Man film with you. And Brad, I told you, this guy just knows everything yeah. when it comes to Asian cinema. Um, and I would encourage everybody, please go to filmsmash.com. Um, that is your go-to place for all reviews, all releases. Um, Caesar, if, if anybody wants to follow you on social media, do you have tags or stuff you can put out there? Because your recommendations are always spot on, man. Oh, well, I mean, you can, of course, find me, as you said, at filmsmash.com. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter at Junior Biho. I also have a um, letterbox account, but that's linked on both of those. So you can find me easily through either of those methods. Yes. And if you are following Caesar, anything that he highly recommends, do yourself a favor and check it out. I cannot think of anything that you've ever, what's funny is you've given me so many movies that I know you've caught at festivals, et cetera, that haven't had a release yet. Um, and my watch list from IMDb is, is huge simply because of stuff you said, Hey, you got to check this out. And I'm waiting patiently for things to come out. You're talking about that Japanese film that had the most amazing knife fight sequence. I think you've seen this year. Um, oh, Hydra. Yeah. Hydra yeah. playing in a couple of film festivals. Oh, you, uh, I'm waiting for that one desperately. All right. Well, yeah, the, um, the main guy is, I know you're a fan of enter the fat dragon. Yes. He's the main guy of Hydra. He's the main henchman in Enter the Fat Dragon with Don Yen. Oh, oh. not the main boss, but like the guy yeah. that's like the leader of the gang in the Chinatown. Man, my excitement for that one is just, and Arrow just, uh, did, I think they announced they're doing verses in December, right? The mm -hmm. Blu-ray? Um, yeah, I would like it better if they put out like uh, Down to Hell, which is like Kitamura's one film um, that he did that's kind of set in the Versus universe, but before verses. 98 oh, okay. or 99 or so it's only like a 60 minute movie i think but okay. that's never had a english friendly release if i if i'm correct maybe they'll throw it on as an extra i don't think they announced it yet. yeah all right brad what else anything that's it, man i guess all i got all right well, hey. chopping mall yeah, yeah got i watched it last halloween actually so it's pretty fresh in my mind for halloween you thumbs up see i'm not alone Okay. All right. I, I'm going to jump into it. I, I, I've, it's been forever since I've seen it. So I am kind of excited because I, I do remember liking the killer robot genre. So awesome. Well, hey, folks, um, as always, thank you for downloading, tuning in. Um, we're, we're super appreciative of every, everything you do for us, um, especially listening. And uh, if you're listening in the morning or afternoon or evening, have an awesome day. We'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.